0: All right, good to worship with you all, and what a, a, a fun Easter uh, time we had, especially in our worship, and as Pastor Jen mentioned, we were, um, I think, really, the, the joy and the privilege of partnering with some of these um, nonprofit groups. Um, I, I think there's really no uh, better way to celebrate uh, Easter, right? And so I thought that was just so good. Um, and it's one of those things as we are Planning it and getting that ready, there's a lot of work, and you know, you don't know if, uh, you know, we, we print all these cards like a wish list and bring this and bring it to Easter, and you know, did everyone take it? Did they take enough? Are we gonna, you know, these representatives are gonna come? Are they gonna get things? And there's a lot of worry, um, but then when it happened, you know, um, and we're able to um, do this, and you know, passage I mentioned, yeah, we we gave a bunch and we did it here and. Um, those groups, um, you know, had representatives at Brea Church as well, and we gave a lot there, and uh, and then we gave them $800 each for the five groups. And those are all nice things, but I think what was really um, so um, encouraging, and a lot of them said, and I, I asked everyone at Brea, like, make sure you go and encourage them. And uh, was that truth? Was that fact that so many people went by and said, "Thank you for all you do," you know? you caring for these kids and you caring for these women, it matters so much, thank you. And they were, there was a lot of um, encouragement there. And so um, I, I talked to a couple of the ladies who came from different organizations and one was sharing how she was in tears and she was so encouraged and, um, and one that uh, lived out in the valley and if she lived closer, she would attend our church and you know these types of things. And um, I, I was really just proud of our church that we could do this. And wanted to thank you all uh, for doing that. And um, you gave yourself a good hand earlier, so we'll just leave it at that. All right. So um, we'll do that. Um, You know, we we go into this uh, book of Philippians. In the next couple months, we're going to be going through this wonderful book. For many of you, this is your top five book in the Bible, right? Out of Paul's letters... I would say this is probably the most popular because it's not as long as First Corinthians, it's not as difficult as Galatians or Colossians. And um, you know, there's verses like, I can do all things through Christ, it gives me strength that people put on their bodies, and you know, whatever it is that, that's their verse. And but really th- this is a wonderful book. Um, and th- the context of this letter that Paul writes is he writes this from prison. Right? And a lot of you know this already. He writes this from prison. Um, And all the commentators and scholars will will mention this, and they'll talk about this as a prison epistle. But I want us to just pause and think for a moment, not just to um, take that truth into our hearts and say, oh, into our minds and say, oh, okay, he writes it from jail. But really think about this, that he writes a letter from prison. And if you were sitting in isolation in prison for something you didn't do and your freedom was taken from you, what kind of letter would you write? What kind of prayer would you say? And he writes this letter, and joy is not the only theme, but it's a big theme in this letter. And he talks about joy. Now, you would think that this, from the context, would not be the main theme of this letter. Joy? You would think maybe he would write about perseverance, suffering, patience, um, trusting more in God, or some themes like that that we would all probably go to. But he says, I want to talk about joy. And this letter starts in a very uh, traditional way. Back in Paul's day, it starts out by the person who writes it. He he identifies himself. And then he talks, he secondly identifies the people that the letter is going to, the recipients. And it's funny, when I was in um, high school, when I remember looking up Philippians, I I always thought it was Philippines for a long time, so I thought he was writing to the Philippines, and I had Filipino friends. I thought, oh, that's so cool, you know? There was no Korean, but anyway, that was, and then it came to realization last week. No, uh, so uh, this happened, right? Uh, But uh, he writes this letter, and then he identifies those who he's writing to, and then he always has a prayer in the beginning of his letters. And the prayer here we're gonna look at today It focuses on two things in many of our prayers today. It's either we we pray to God for help, we pray to God um, out of asking for strength or asking for something. But here his prayer is about joy that he has. And two parts to this. One is, the first part is he focuses on what he already has. The things he already possesses in God and he spends time to thank God and to remind the uh, people in Philippi that they have these things. And we have to pause for a moment. Before we jump to, God, here's my wish list. God, here's my dream. God, can you make this come true? We have to pause, and just as a mature Christian, pause and think about all that we have, all that we already possess. We often pray for things that we don't have that we don't possess. God, can you give me this? God, can you help me? You know, I want, you know, her to be my wife or I want my child to do this or God, I want this promotion. And we go to God for the things that we wish, but here he pauses and he starts by praying for the things that he already possesses. And we all have to do that. And that's the first part we see. And the second part is now he prays for the people to keep striving in their walk with God. It's kind of two parts. The things we already have, the things that you should be wishing for. And it's just two parts in this prayer. And we're going to look at that together. You know, it's uh, C.S. Lewis who said that joy is the serious business of heaven. We often think about God and religion and Jesus and all these things. And we think about Sometimes the the words like um, holiness or restrictions or seriousness or life or death, or these things come to mind, but uh, C.S. Lewis reminds us it's joy. The things of how we live, why we live, why we do what we do, it ought to be filled with joy. And God's uh, purpose for us is to have a more joyful life. And the answer is in Him. And we learned that last week. Um, And so we, we see this here. It's interesting because, you know, the first part that I said, the things that we already possess, right, is mentioned in verse 3 through 8, and verse 3 through 8 is, in the original language, uh, all the commentators talk about how it's one long sentence, and it's a complicated sentence to really go through and break down, but it's one sentence, and in this one sentence run-on kind of prayer, he prays that you remember all the things that you have, all the things you already possess. And the second part is from verse 9 and on, all the things you ought to be striving for. And this is where the gospel comes in. And I just want to spend a moment uh, talking about this really quick. You know, we as a church, we as Christians, we want to be gospel-centered or gospel-driven and sometimes we think about the gospel as simply as something that you preach to someone who hasn't heard the gospel and they should hear the gospel. That the gospel should go to the ends of the earth or and there should be some kind of altar call. People respond to the gospel. It's like the uh, entrance point to this faith. But that's one part of it. But really, we all need to hear as Christians the gospel regularly. And what that does for us, and I, uh, there was an article that Sam Storms wrote, and I wanna just quote him. He talks about the gospel and how that affects us, um, those who are saved. It says it informs, controls, energizes all we do, whether that be the dynamics of interpersonal relationships, marriage, work, our use of money, speech, parenting, mission, and all aspects of ministry in the local church and beyond that the gospel affects everything. It affects all about who we are. And so we pause for a moment. We go back to the gospel. We realize on the cross this happened. I already have this as a Christian. Things money cannot buy. Things I cannot inherit from anyone else other than God. Things I cannot earn. God has given to me the most priceless things in life. I already have. And then we say, also, let it help me in how I live. And that's the two parts here that we're going to look at. So the first part is this. It's a prayer of the things that they already have. And he talks about in verse 5, 6, and 7, these things. First of all, he talks about the partnership in the gospel we all share. Um, This idea of this common work that we are all in. So when we gather as a church like this, and it's so important for us to gather, we gather, we're doing this in unison. We're singing the same songs together. Uh, we are praying together. You know, we shoot up the Bible verses on the TVs, not just mere, out of mere convenience, um, but also so that we could even read in unison the same version, the same words. There's this idea of the same reading together. And so, this idea of us now in partnership together, in verse five it says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. All the things that they already have, he talks about, he says, because of your partnership with me. And the word uh, partnership in some translations is translated fellowship. When we think about fellowship sometimes if you've been in the church a long time you think fellowship as something oh uh, things that people do if they have something in common right so we you know at our church we oh we are going to do basketball right and so you think oh well it's all the guys who like basketball fellowship it's like doing fun things together we might do a ladies hike and say oh it's the ladies who like to hike you know and so they get together and hike and whatever it is and then but more than just commonality This idea here that the ESV translates as partnership, it's the idea of common participation in something. And this is what one of the commentators, Gordon Fee, says, a common participation in something rather than sharing something in common. So it's doing something together that you do this together. And now Paul is in prison. He's talking about their partnership, that we are now still on the same race together. We already have this together. We're we're going in the same direction together. You know, this last week, me, me and my wife, uh, we celebrated our uh, anniversary, right? And it was our 18th year, so it wasn't like 20 yet. So it's not, you know, too exciting, but it's still 18, right? 18 is more important than 17. It's more important than 16, and um, and we were. Um, and I would kind of opened my big mouth and I said, this is a different topic, but I said to my daughters, they, they wanted to rearrange their rooms, you know, watching too much HGTV is not good for a little kid. They're like, we, I want to redecorate. And they all think they're, you know, one of those people. And I was like, and I, you know, I told my wife this and I was like, you know, they're only going to be around for a few more years. Let's let them go at it. Like, let's, let's, let's do it, you know? And I said that, and then I got called out on it, right? And they're like, okay, well, they wanna repaint their rooms. I said, oh, that's a lot of work, you know? Just, just just, move the bed one way or the other. A new pillow or something, oh, they wanna repaint. You said it, I know I said it. And uh, so I said, all right, let's paint. So on our anniversary week now, yesterday, I'm at Home Depot now, picking out colors, picking out buying everything, and now, you know, we're gonna paint, dad, we're gonna paint, means dad, um, I might help, but you know, you, come on, you're you're the worker here. And so I'm painting, and yesterday, what started at uh, 11, before I knew, I check, it felt like a few minutes, and I check, it's 2 p.m., you know, and the next thing I know, it's 4 p.m. And there's that moment, you're like, Why this the whole regret? I should have put my foot down. I should have said no to this. This is you know it was such hard work and there's you know all the little corners and you know all the mistakes you make as an amateur. There's paint everywhere and it's starting to look really bad. And I'm thinking, why did I do this? And me and my wife uh, were the only two working after a few hours. And my kids are like, I'm tired. I can't do it. And and we're just painting and we're kind of laughing about it. We're like, wow, this is our anniversary. We're spending our anniversary painting this and we're laughing. And kind of trying to enjoy it. My wife was, is um, a lot more uh, gracious than I am, you know, and she was like laughing about it. Oh, wow, how fun. We're celebrating our anniversary doing this. And she was laughing. I was fake laughing. You know, and we're <laughs> I was like, okay. And I'm just, you know, uh, we're painting. But the idea of doing something together. Right? And I was sharing with uh, one of the younger brothers at our church of how, man, it took, I felt like it took me 10 years to really, for us to really know each other and to really grow closer. And that's really with all of us here and our work together as we serve the Lord together, as these young men last week who got confirmed in their faith. And some of them I've known since they were, you know, just toddlers. And as they're growing and as we are doing life together, as you're sitting in groups of people's homes and you're sharing about your prayers and faith together, you're doing, you're participating. So fellowship isn't just, hey, I want to go find someone that's similar to me, that looks like me and talks like me and hang out. But it's more than that. It's I participate and I do something together. He talks about that. Secondly, he talks about how ministry will ultimately be completed with or without him. And this is a verse that many of us know well, verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We know this. This idea that the work that they're doing will be completed, that God will finish the work at the day of Jesus Christ, that God will finish this. Um, Amen. It, it a, it's a comforting thought, and also it's a humbling thought because none of us are so important We think we often we fool ourselves into thinking I'm so important, but really none of us are so good at what we do that God says, oh my gosh, I can't do it without them. And over the last 20 plus years of doing church ministry, um, I've had panic moments where I thought, oh my gosh, she's leaving, you know? Why does she have to get married and leave? She sings so well, you know? And oh, why couldn't she marry one of the church guys? Here? You know, whatever. And, you know, or he's leaving, our youth pastor's leaving, and all the kids love him, you know? And, you know, what are we gonna do without him? And, but, you know, God continues to just fill that void and continues to work. And so he is reminding them, That though they're still struggling and though they're striving and though we're working, you know, God is going to complete the work. And the longer that we do this, um, the more we realize how little do I accomplish in my life. You know, so this mission trip, these mission trips we're going to, they're wonderful trips. We get to go and uh, encourage the people there, we get to go and learn. But really, you say, what can we really do in a week? What can we really do in two weeks? What impact can we really make? But really, not just that. We could say that about, oh, what can I really get done in a quarter here at church? You know, what am I going to really get done in a year? You know, and we're looking at now, you know, our 10th year is coming up in the fall. And I think, man, I felt like we just are scratching the surface. There's so much work ahead of us idea that God is going to complete it. And the third part that has already been done in his prayer, he says, is this experience of grace in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. You are all partakers with me of grace. He says this is what we already have. (laughs) We are all people who have received something from God that we couldn't earn, that money cannot buy. And in our prayers, in our approach to God, in our approach to life, we ought to thank God for this all the time. I'm a partaker of God's grace. We do this together. And doesn't that just humble all of us? Doesn't that put us all on the same playing field? No one is more important or more special or more this or that. We're all partakers of grace. A congregation of people who come together as people who had nothing and received everything. What do you have to boast about? We have nothing to boast about. Have nothing to brag about. There's no one to look down upon because we are all partakers of grace. And he says, let's pause and remember these things. And then he now points to what you ought to be working on in the future, right? And it's interesting because verse 3 through 8 starts with this idea of uh, verse 3 talks about the prayer of joy. Uh, uh, Verse 4, the the prayer that he has with joy. And then by verse 9, he starts a new sentence, and he now talks about the things we ought to work on, the things we ought to grow in. And so we have to have a good grasp of both as we understand the gospel. What I have in Christ, the grace I possess already, And then what I ought to be working on, there's two parts to this. It's loving others and growing in righteousness of myself, right? Those are the two things he says you ought to be now abounding in. Now let's look at this, you know, we often flip those upside down and we often are worried about other people's righteousness. How are they doing? Are they okay? He's breaking the law. She's doing this, you know, and then we're all only concerned about me being loved, oh, they didn't recognize me, they didn't give me that. you know. Um, we ought to be more concerned about us loving the others and being righteous ourselves. But we often get this flip-flop. So the first part of what we are now striving towards, and this is what the gospel helps us to do, is to abound in love. And I love the language that's there in verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment that your love may abound more and more. You ought to be more loving today than you were last year. You as a Christian ought to be more loving now than you were 10 years ago. And next year, you ought to strive to say, I want to be more loving. It's unfortunate sometimes that our love level decreases as we get older with more we know. The more cynical we become, uh, the more harsh we become sometimes with our words, but our love ought to abound, and he says it ought to abound more and more and more. At home, you ought to be more loving. At work, you ought to be more encouraging and caring. And to the world around us, we ought to show loving kindness. And so it ought to abound more and more in this way. And you think about this prayer in verse nine. The only person, that could stop us from loving others more and more, the only person that hinders that is ourselves. It's not that the person, there aren't enough people that I need to love, it's myself. So it's my lack of patience, it's my pride, you know, it's my opinion, it's my feelings, it's me. And often it is myself who holds us from loving others and letting it abound, letting it overflow. All of us can do this. And so we are challenged in this prayer to love others more and more and more. You know, uh, there's a famous quote in um, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. He talks about loving others, and he says, uh, you know, basically says, don't, worry so much about how you feel towards them, but act it. And as you act it, you'll feel it. And he says this, do not waste your time bothering whether you quote unquote, love your neighbor, act as if you did already. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love them. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more if you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. So he's saying, you start loving, and the feelings will come. And so we ought to be loving more and more. And the second part that we are, we are filled with, uh, ought to be focused on, is becoming more holy personally, growing in righteousness. Remember, it's religion that says your personal righteousness might get you to God. Uh, The Gospel says God has already saved you and now you ought to act and live out your identity. And so we ought to be growing in righteousness. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We ought to be filled in this way. We ought to be concerned about myself, not other people's righteousness, but my own righteousness. Am I trying to be the person that God wants me to be? Am I trying to now take care of myself? It was always in the Gospels, the Pharisees who worried so much more about other people's righteousness. And it is so easy for us in our world today to judge other people, put them on a a scale and grade them and feel better a lot of times. Oh, well, you know, look how they're doing this and I'm doing that and I'm better than them and this. But we ought to be concerned about ourselves. We ought to pray, God, help me to be more righteous. We ought to grieve over our sins more. It's unfortunate at times that the longer we are in the church and we are in the fellowship, it's easy for us to not grieve so much anymore, but to go and grieve over ourselves and to grow in this way. I want to encourage us to live this life of joy in this way. If you could Honestly, say, boy, whether I'm in prison, whether I'm on vacation somewhere nice, my joy level is the same because what I have in Christ. But wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be the priceless gift? And it starts by our prayers. And after uh, I pray and wrap up, and later Pastor Jen's going to lead us in a time of prayer, I want us to pray over these things, all the things I already possess in Christ. All the ways God is striving for me to live out my holiness and to grow in love. Who can I love more? Who can I bless more in my life? That is our prayer. And we kick off this series in this way. And I know it's going to be a blessed time for us as we go and journey through this together in our partnership. Let's pray together. Um, Dear God, we thank you. Uh, that we have all that we need in you. And even when we think about the church, God, we have a partnership of people here. And Lord, we also have a completion of you. Your faithfulness It's already done. And though we are striving and wanting to, people to grow and help each other to grow, God, you will ultimately finish that work. And so we are um, comforted by that thought. And we share a common grace. We share common grace with someone like Apostle Paul. And, uh, Lord, we are humbled at that thought. And so we want to strive to now love more. We want it to abound. We want it to overflow. And, God, we want to, Lord, work on our own righteousness, not worry about the righteousness of others. So, God, we ask for your help in these things. We thank you for um, your goodness to us that we hear in the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.